Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? It is Jeff here from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 458. So what happens when a seasoned firearms and legal use of force instructor is suddenly confronted by an attacker twice his size and armed with a gun while walking in broad daylight with his young son? Will the skills that he spent thousands of hours training come to his rescue? Will he be warrior ready when a loved one needs him the most? His story and the lessons that he learned are all waiting for you in this week's show. And hey, don't forget to grab your one-page cheat sheet covering all of this week's top tips. You'll find it waiting for you right there with all of our other cheat sheets, training manuals, audio programs, and more absolutely free just by going on over to warriorlife.com loot. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. No matter what type of self-protection training that you're out there looking for, unless there's some experience to back it up, most training runs the risk of being little more than a hypothesis, or even worse, really bad advice that could get you hurt or even killed if you ever had to put that training into use. But that's not all that easy to do. I mean, the self-defense industry is filled with instructors who have never actually been in a real fight ever in their life. And don't even get me started in the prepping space out there. Likewise, in the civilian firearms industry, finding an instructor or following training advice from someone who has actually been in a potentially life-threatening confrontation with a violent armed attacker is a rarity. Military and law enforcement experience does count. And I would say that now, these are great resume points to look for when you're out there looking for training. But for civilians who own a firearm, and especially for those who carry a handgun for everyday protection, there's incredible value in seeking out information and training from not just from instructors who have had that experience, but even from victims of real-life attacks to do an after-action review of the lessons that they learned from their encounter. Well, fortunately, today we have both of those all wrapped up into one. What's going on there, Warrior? Jeff Anderson here from WarriorLife.com and WarriorLife Academy, and I'm really excited about this week's show. This is a rare opportunity because we have a great firearms instructor who just came face-to-face with a violent encounter and had to make some quick decisions to keep himself and a family member safe. And the lessons that he learned from this attack are going to make you far better prepared against the threat, regardless of whether you carry or not. So please welcome Ryan Thomas to the show. Ryan, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, Jeff, I'm super excited to be here. No, definitely. I mean, I've, I've been looking forward to this uh, and, and hearing more about your experience and some of the some of the things that you got out of this. Uh, listen, everybody, you may recognize Ryan from his popular YouTube channel, Tampa Carry, where he teaches and also live streams with his lovely wife, Tiffany, on the topics of Florida concealed carry law and firearms training tactics. Now, as a certified NRA instructor and range safety officer, Ryan has built up a solid following of over 100,000 gun owners selling thousands of copies of his books, which include titles such as Florida Concealed Carry Law, Florida Concealed Carry Shoot and Don't Shoot, and AR-15 Secrets. Now, he's been teaching firearms classes in the Tampa, Florida area since 2009, reaching over 60,000 students with both his online and on-the-range instruction. In fact, Ryan didn't know this, but when I moved from Texas to Florida, it was Ryan's course that I chose to transition my concealed carry permit over to my new home here in Florida. And I've really enjoyed his training and his commitment to making sure that gun owners aren't just trained in how to shoot, but also how to stay out of prison by understanding the law and knowing when it's legal to defend yourself with your firearm. And this week, happy to say, we're gonna put all this training in one little episode here as we take an in-depth look at a recent encounter that Ryan and his young son had 
with an aggressive individual in public to grab some hard-earned lessons that you can apply to your own self-protection plan. Now, you can find out more about Ryan and his training at tampacarry.com, but you can also go over to his website at warriorcloud.io. Now, Ryan, before we go into the lessons that you learned or maybe were reinforced by this, this encounter, please go ahead and describe to our audience what happened to you and your son when you were out there. So I go for a walk every single day, and it's about four miles. Uh, on this day, Jackson, my nine-year-old son, and I are walking down the road. Uh, there's no sidewalk, so we're walking on the very far left against traffic. And as we're walking through an intersection, this guy ran through the stop sign and almost hit us. So he slammed on the brakes. He stopped about a foot away from me, and I kind of lost control. I was a little bit pissed off as I'm face-to-face -face with this guy, and I just looked at him and pointed and said, slow the F down. And I thought it would kind of end there. The man said, you know, I didn't see you. And I said, that's my point. You're driving fast on this road. There's lots of people walking. You're not paying attention. Slow down. So then the guy was like, oh, he decided to just bail out of his car. He tried to close the gap and get really close to me. And I, I realized very quickly, Jeff, that this guy was going to sucker punch me at any second. So I uh, backed up and I told him, get back. Don't get close to me. And the guy just kept getting closer and closer. So we're stepping further and further away. And there, there were a lot of words kind of exchanged. But finally, the now I want you to imagine for a second, if, if I said describe a person who has been in prison for the last 25 years, you got a good visual of who that person is, right? So that's this guy. Like all he's been doing is push-ups and sit-ups for, for 25 years in a cell. So finally, the man said, um, he said, I'm going to kick your son in the face. He said, I'm going to rape your wife, and then I'm going to shoot you in the chest. And I just said, listen, man, just get in your car, drive away, drive slower. You know, this isn't worth any of this. Just get out of here. And there, there's cars stopped. There's people watching. I'm sure there's recordings of it on the internet somewhere. And then finally, the guy just kept saying that he was going to shoot me. Uh, so I, I just said, like, listen, man, if, if this isn't the path you want to go down. But and now I probably had about a 30-foot distance between me and him. And then he said, I'm going to grab my gun. And he turned around and sprinted to his car. So he was probably 15 to 20 feet away from his car. And listen, I'm not going to let this guy run to his vehicle and grab a gun and, and just stand around and wait for him. My son Jackson was already kind of far away from me. He was 15, 20 feet further away from the bad guy. Jackson just took off running. So I turned around and I'm running behind Jeff. There was a man standing outside playing basketball with his son. And just imagine this. I run up to this guy and I said, hey, this guy over here is threatening to shoot us. Uh, he's got a gun. We're going to take cover behind your car. So me and Jackson get, we take cover uh, by the engine block right in the front of this guy's car. The homeowner got a little bit cocky and didn't realize the uh, uh, gravity of what was happening. And he kind of walked out to the street. This bad guy was now in his vehicle, pulling up to the house. And uh, the homeowner walked out to kind of talk to this guy. And that's when the aggressor had his hand on the left hand on the steering wheel and had the gun out the window. And uh, the homeowner just turned around in pure fear, bolted into the house. The bad guy now drove past. And um, once a bad guy drove past, me and Jax, the door was open. We just kind of pushed our way into this guy's house and said, we're, we're going to wait in this house until uh, the cops get here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty hairy experience, especially when you have a family member with you as well. I thought I thought this would be a great opportunity to um, take this encounter one step at a time to really look at the threat dynamics that someone may find themselves presented with some sort of a confrontation like that. So so let's first look at things that stand out for you leading up to the that moment that the man stepped outside of the vehicle. So looking back on it, what do you notice about how you were or weren't as prepared for either recognizing or avoiding the confrontation to begin with? So as soon as the guy slammed on the brakes and stopped in front of me, as I was looking at him through the windshield, I realized very quickly that this guy was very confused at what was happening. His eyes were very big. It almost seemed like he was on drugs or intoxicated because he he was just very confused, or maybe he was just startled with the fact that he almost hit somebody. But either way, it just seemed like he was extremely confused. And that was the first signal to me that this is not this is not a normal person. This isn't a normal situation. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but but that was the first kind of moment that I realized this is not what I thought it was just going to be. Somebody said, hey, I'm sorry. I was on my phone. I messed up. And then we just kind of like, it's okay. And then we just walk away. But that's when I realized this, this is going to be bad. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people either give the uh, the middle finger salute if they're if they're pissed off or whatever if it's road rage incident somebody cuts you off in traffic and i guess you never know when somebody is going to slam their brakes i remember one time i was in i was in austin and i was behind a guy it was like uh, trying to come onto a road and it was a main road it was a little bit busy and i was one car back and like you know for me i would have taken the opportunity there was a little bit of a space there the guy could have gone out there and i, I remember beeping my horn at him and the guy Put, I could see the car go into park and he got out of the vehicle and he came over and he's like, I hate somebody beeping at me. And it's got right up in the window. And I froze. Like I wasn't expecting him to get out of his vehicle. And I thought about it. Like it really made me think about it. It's like, you know, what am I going to get there? Like maybe a minute and 37 seconds later if, if he doesn't go. And uh, so that was, a, that was an interesting thing for me. And I guess the point there is that you really, you never know when somebody's had a really bad day or if, like you said, if they're intoxicated, if they're on drugs what's going to make them snap. And um, I mean, that's, I think it's a lesson that everybody needs to know because I think everybody's gone through that, that point where they've told somebody to slow down or given the middle finger or something like that. I'm also curious about when you're with your son. It's interesting that he was already a little bit away from you and took off running on his own. Is that, I mean, you have, your family is well-versed in firearms. It's your, that's your industry. You're, you're in the firearms industry. Your wife, Tiffany, does the live streams with you on your channel and everything. So these, this is an educated family. Was there, was there anything that you, that he was prepped with ahead of time or have you had any conversations with your family about what to do if there is actually any kind of a confrontation out there? We've had a lot of conversations, but he did things that I really wasn't expecting. So as this guy was threatening us, I didn't know this cause I didn't see it, but Jackson picked up a really big rock apparently and uh, he said that if the guy attacked me, he was going to come and attack this guy with a rock, which I find funny because that's not something I would ever want him to do. Um, yeah, I mean, we have code words in our family if, uh, you know, if something happens for them to run. But this was just very dynamic. Uh, none of that really happened. Uh, this was more intuitive. And um, yeah, he kind of just he kind of just created the gap and, and got really far away from me on his own, which which I was very proud of. Well, kudos to his intuition, right? Like that's that's pretty awesome. And it's interesting because he also his intuition was to also help out dad 
when you're with somebody that you love and they're and they're fighting you, like there is that. And we've I've seen this so many times in different fights. Um, we've used this as an example sometimes when we do an, we do an analysis of an attack. And I've talked with my girlfriend who does carry concealed and. Like, I know she can defend herself, but I've told her if there's ever any anything ever goes down, like you're going to be much, much more used to me by running away and getting help than you are to try and help. And she's of course, she's like, you know, no, I'm going to stay and, you know, beat this guy up. I'm like, no, don't do that. She's like, "Okay, I won't do it. You know, it's just like she's just not I know she's it's going to be a struggle for her to just try and leave me behind. And so I think especially for children, that's a real hard thing especially if they're not, I mean, they shouldn't be that familiar with violence, right? That they should be kind of in shock from it. Unfortunately, nowadays, it's becoming more and more common, something that they really have to deal with. But, um, but, but kudos to his intuition. And uh, I know that you did another live stream after, after the event where you had your kids on there. I thought that was awesome, too, to re- for people to really, uh, people were showing concern about it. And you were talking about how, um, well, you basically let him talk for himself and, and give some perspectives that he got from it. Um, so when this guy got out of the vehicle, it must've been a real kind of like, oh shit moment for you. And I know in the industry, we talk a lot about like the OODA loop, you know, observe, orient, decide and act. So what do you think are some of the most important things that you recognized as teachable moments from the moment that he stopped his vehicle and he got, he got out and he started coming toward you with his threats? Well, so initially he didn't have any threats. Initially he got out as if he was going to have a conversation which is one of the ways that I epically screwed up in this moment because I I still thought for a brief moment that I was having a rational conversation with a rational person. But then I I saw how big the guy was. I saw how aggressively he was moving towards me and I, I failed. I allowed this guy to get way too close to me in this situation. And that's when I realized this guy is closing the gap and he's gonna sucker punch me very soon. So that's when I said, back up, get away from me. And I very, very quickly started retreating and creating a very large distance because I, I knew this guy was, was uh, getting ready to sucker punch me. So that was a big mistake that I made is that, you know, I'm a rational person. I can have a rational conversation with you uh, and we can talk about whatever mistake I made, but cra- you can't talk to crazy people. You just need to keep a distance and um, yeah, keep yourself safe. Yeah, we oftentimes project our own like, well, I'm a logical person, so every other person must be also, even though we know they aren't. But we oftentimes think that we're talking to somebody that, that has the ability to process there. I think one of the other – it seems like some of the other factors that were present there, one, his size. And they're used to intimidating people. Bigger people are used to being able to intimidate other people and then backing down. And you're giving commands to back up. And if somebody has been in prison, that's – any sort of like disrespect can absolutely be – a, a calling card for them to have to regain that respect back just the way that it is in prison, not speaking from experience. But um, I think the other thing as far as, especially when it comes to like the OODA loop, I didn't realize, but you said that like there were a bunch of other people that were watching, there were other people around and we oftentimes find in confrontations that there can be this, this pressure, this social pressure for somebody to do something. Right. Like, especially if they're the ones that feel like they're like if you're giving the guy a command to back down and he does back down, then especially if there are people filming, I mean, who wants to have their, you know, be on TikTok that night? Like, dude, you got punked by this guy and his little kid, like the kid was going to hit you with a rock. 
And I'm, you know, we never know what's going on in the other person's in the other person's head. But I think being conscious of those other things that are happening around one, it's really hard to do, right? Your adrenaline must have been through the roof. You're wondering if you got your kid there with you, which amps things up even more. And we just get mono focused in on the threat. Our brains are going to do what our brains are going to do. I think that with all the training that you have and the instruction that you're doing, I think it gives us a, a subconscious buffer zone there. I think that when we become when we make it part of our our career, our lifestyle, you carry every day. And so it's something that's always there in our mind. So it's not as much of a shock, I think, as to other people that have never had to even think about threats like that or anything. But uh, but that social pressure is definitely something that we've seen in fights, whether it's a fist fight, um, attacks like this. Backing down is kind of can be a really hard thing to do, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, but Honestly, in this situation, it wasn't hard for me. Um, the dude was very big, and I'm not going to win that fist fight with this guy. I know that very quickly. And, uh, yeah, I just wasn't going to stick around and just wait there for the guy to run and grab his gun out of his car to, uh, and then get in a gunfight with, with these people standing there. Yeah, and it, it just happened quick. And, and, frankly, when I saw Jackson take off running, it was kind of like I kind of, you know, I got I to gotta follow him. I got to protect him. He's, he's the one that I need to uh, keep safe in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, be your own bodyguard, right? Um, you know, this guy had already threatened your life. And he went back to his vehicle to go get a gun and potentially even carry out that threat. So there's all kinds of legal lessons that are popping into this as far as like your response to it. And this is an area that you offer a lot of instruction in with your courses. So, you know, this was, um, actually I took your, I took your class when I moved here from Texas, like I said, in the intro and, and when was that? What year was that? Um, it was about, I want to say it was like two and a half, three years ago was when I moved here and my, I have Texas reciprocity. So I just, kind of kept it for a little while, but I want, I mean, I'm, I'm here now until I die, hopefully a long time from now, but yeah, it'll be, uh, so I wanted, I wanted to go ahead and just transition everything over. Saw your online course. Actually, I think, uh, my girlfriend, my girlfriend's, uh, kids have also been signed up, did not take it yet. <laughs> they just still have the coupon for it. But, um, but I did take the class and it was, it was online. Very, very good. I mean, one of the big things that we talk about, not just the training for, for being able to respond tactically to a situation, but we really push forward the shoot, don't shoot, uh, the lessons that people really have to learn. Because I can tell you, as much as people talk about the Second Amendment and protecting the Second Amendment and voting for the Second Amendment, uh, you know, I often tell people that the easiest way to lose your Second Amendment rights is to be a dumbass with your gun. Like you do something illegal, you become, you get a felony conviction. Yeah. So um, you're going to be the one that's going to strip you of your rights and potentially be showering next to the guys that you were defending against to begin with. And so I really liked your class a lot because um, I, my audience, is, they've heard me say this a few times now. When I took my concealed carry class in, uh, in Texas, it was like a four and a half hour class. And of course, there's a legal portion to that. But the instructor for the class, we had maybe like eight people in the class. And he was instructing, he got to the part where it was legal and he talked about the second amendment for, I forget how long it was, but it was probably for about an hour. He was showing videos of testimony related to the second amendment, why we need to vote for the second amendment. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh shoot, we're almost done with the class. All right. I have to get through the legal side here. And so he's like, okay, slide. Okay. Don't go into federal building slide. And it was just, and I was just like, we just 
gave these people the opportunity to walk around with a handgun every day. And they're going to, we know how they're going to vote in the voting booth, maybe, but, you know, this person who I believe as an instructor is entrusted with the responsibility to keep people out of prison and knowing what to do with their firearm really did a disservice that day. And when we get out to the parking lot, I gave everybody like a copy of our, our legal DVD to everybody because to me, that's one of the most important things. I mean, I, the tactics, most people probably aren't even going to train with it. Most people aren't even going to carry. Um, but if they do, I'm, I'm concerned with what people are going to do with it. And so I loved your, I loved your course that you had. Um, I think you did a great job with talking about the, the legal side of it. And again, when I came to Florida, I want to make sure that I understand the laws that are here, right? So, um, so I thought that was great. Now for you, I'm really curious about what the dynamics were of this encounter from a draw, don't draw and shoot, don't shoot perspective that you noticed either going into it, like you were experiencing in the moment, because you were certainly justified in some ways where somebody says, I'm going to go get my gun, shoot you in the chest, damage, you know, hurt your kid. So these are definitely their lethal threats, right? So we have all those different check boxes. Um, I hate to say that because it's almost like check, check, yay, I can shoot the guy, right? But it's not like that. But certainly for defending yourself, you need to understand those legal tests that you have to pass in case you do get brought into a courtroom. So especially with the depth of training and, and the instruction that you're doing in this area, I'm super curious what was coming to you at that moment and then looking back on it also, maybe some of the lessons that other people should learn from your encounter. So in my book, Florida Concealed Carry, Shoot or Don't Shoot, the framework that I created um, basically goes like this. So the first question is, how can the situation be avoided? Because I'm a big believer that our job as responsible gun owners is to identify a potentially dangerous situation and then avoid it as much as possible. We do not want to get into a gunfight I think gun owners have this kind of perverted thing that they want to get in a gunfight. They want to experience killing somebody. Uh, and everybody that I've ever met who's been in a self-defense shooting in the United States, it's been in a very challenging encounter for them. So uh, that's primarily what was going through my mind is we do not want this to happen. We want to get out of this situation. So question number one, how could the situation be avoided? Question number two is, what level of force can legally be used? And that's the balance between using physical force and violence or actually using deadly force. I think we were very close to deadly force. Uh, and that brings us into question number three, which is, does this situation fall under the castle or the Florida stand your ground law? So in the stand your ground law, there's five basic questions that have to be answered before we have a right to use or threaten the use of deadly force. And question number one is, do you have a reasonable belief? So the reasonable belief, as you know, it means do it means do I truly believe my only option is to pull out a firearm and shoot this person? And would a jury agree that that is my only option? Um, so as we're going, as you know, uh, brandishing is displaying a firearm in a rude, careless, angry, or threatening manner that is not necessary in self-defense. And that is not what this guy has done. So even though he's made this verbal threat that he has a gun, there is no indication that he actually has a firearm. And many of the Florida state prosecutors that I've uh, interviewed and even the police after this incident, they said, you know, there's really nothing that we can do because the guy wasn't pointing a gun at me when he was making these threats. It was all just verbal. 
Um, so that reasonable belief standard could be hairy. It could be kind of hard to prove when there was no indication that this guy actually had a gun. So that second requirement is of the stand your ground law is, do I have a reasonable belief of imminent death, great bodily harm, or the imminent commission of a forcible felony? So is this imminent death? Not really, not yet, because he's still 30, 40 feet away from Jackson. He's 30 feet away from me. It's not likely that death is going to occur within seconds, even though it could. But again, there's no real indication that this guy has a weapon uh, yet, even though he's making some very aggressive, heinous uh, kind of threats. It's not great bodily harm, which, you know, great bodily harm doesn't have a statutory definition under Florida law, but it's uh, typically referred to as a broken bone, a severed limb, permanent brain damage, permanent disfigurement, something like that. It's not a forcible felony yet. So there's 16 forcible felonies in Florida law. Uh, treason, murder, manslaughter, sexual battery, carjacking, home invasion, robbery, robbery, burglary, arson, kidnapping, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, aggravated stalking, aircraft piracy, unlawful throwing, placing, or discharging a destructive device or bomb or any other felony that involves the use of physical force or violence against any individual. So really none of that has happened yet. You know, the only two that we're getting very close on is aggravated assault, which is using a using a deadly weapon without the intent to kill. So that's basically brandishing, right? If the guy would have had a firearm that he flashed, or maybe if he pistol whipped me, that would be aggravated assault. Aggravated battery is having a deadly weapon with the intent to kill, which means you actually used that deadly weapon. So I don't think we've crossed that line yet, even though we are extremely close. Uh, does that make sense? Do you agree with that? It does. I mean, I think it's, first of all, it's funny, not funny that you know that many, like, it's like knowing all the states of the, of the country, be able to spit them out. So it's interesting. And, and I think that there's a few key points there, I think, that you're, that you're bringing out. So one is the fact that you have this training, bringing back, because um, we talk a lot about the reasonable man theory, about how you'll be judged and based upon the information that you knew up to the point that you actually had to use force to be able to defend yourself and that that matters, like what you knew before that point. So if you knew this guy from from the neighborhood or whatever, and you knew that he just got out of prison and you knew that he got out of he was in prison for for murder with a with a firearm, like all of those things can be brought into the courtroom because there were things that you knew and they could contribute toward your decision to be able to defend yourself. Um, what you learn after the fact doesn't mean anything. Right. Like if you fight, if, if you had to go to court for this, if you had to defend yourself and then it comes out, well, this guy, like it's found out later that this guy was in prison. Well, you didn't know that. So that can't really contribute to your defensibility of your decision. Um, but with you being in the industry, I mean, I, th I think this is a, a curious little balancing point here, because when you just rattled all those things off, a lot of people will be thinking like, oh, my gosh, like I have to go. I have to. I've got this guy up in my face and I have to think of the 16, I have to rattle off the 16 different ways that I could be attacked and like, nope, nope, nope. Wait a minute. Hold on one second there. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Like that's a lot of stuff to try to think of when your heart's in your throat and your blood's pulsing through your forehead. And so, um, so it puts you under maybe a little bit more scrutiny because you should know better. Maybe if that's the way a jury could look at it in a courtroom is like, well, you should have known because a reasonable person knowing what they knew at the time of that attack, well, you're an instructor in these things. You 
They could bring all of your videos into the courtroom and show, see, you said don't ever do this, and you did that. So, so there's that balancing act, right? Then there's also the other side of it, which somebody might take the opposite polarity and, and think, well, um, maybe if I don't know anything, then I'll have to ever answer for what I didn't know. Well, ignorance isn't a, a, a defense either. Like, that's not going to work for you in a in a uh, thing. So it's a well, balancing act. Michael Draca didn't know anything. Yeah, right. You remember Michael Draca? Yes. Yeah. So that's the guy who decided he was going to be the parking lot police in Clearwater. And every single time somebody parked in a handicapped parking spot, he was just going to go out and boldly confront them until one day he confronted this woman. Her boyfriend comes out, violently shoves Drake onto the ground. Drake pulls out a gun and shoots. So what was fascinating about that incident is Michael Draca truly believed that he had a legal right to shoot Marquise, who was the, the man that died. He truly believed it. And because he didn't understand Florida concealed carry law, Michael Draca said really dumb stuff during his interview with the uh, Pinellas County Sheriff's detectives. So the officer said, and you know, detectives are very smart, right? Like they're going to pretend that they're on your side. They're going to pretend that they show concern for you. So that the deputy said, or the detective said, when you got shoved to the ground, what did you think was going to happen next? And Michael Draca said, I thought kicks were coming. But you see, that's not aggravated assault. That's not aggravated battery. That's battery, which you're not allowed to use a firearm over battery. But so because he didn't understand the proper vocabulary, that was heavily used against him during that court proceeding. And that's why it's so important that if you're going to carry a firearm and you're really going to live this lifestyle, you have to achieve effortlessness. So one of my mentors, his name is Myron Golden, he talks about the four levels of learning. And the first level of learning is called unconscious incompetence. And that's when somebody has such a, so, uh, such a low level of understanding that they don't understand how little they understand about a topic. And the separate, so that's kind of uh, like if I were to go talk to, let's say, an engineer, I think I understand things about structural engineering, but I really understand nothing. But if I were to spend a day hanging out with a structural engineer, I would move to the second level of understanding, which is unconscious competence, or I'm sorry, conscious incompetence, which means I'm consciously aware of how little I know. And if I were to spend an entire year with that structural engineer, I'd move into conscious competence, which means I can consciously demonstrate that skill with the use of conscious resources. But that final step, which is effortlessness, that's when you can demonstrate a certain skill without the use of conscious resources. And that's what we're really trying to teach. And it sounds like that's what you're teaching your people also, is we're trying to help them understand how to move through, how to answer these questions, move through the OODA loop very, very quickly. You shouldn't have to think in a self-defense situation, is this aggravated assault or is this aggravated battery? That should be effortless for you because you've practiced it so much. Yeah, you're right. I mean, absolutely. And, and it's um, it's one of the things I think guns end up becoming kind of the magic talisman, right? Like people get it. In fact, I remember when it came in for the final test, if you will, firing, firing the gun inside of your, uh, inside of your shop there. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you do this with all of the, with the entire class, but you asked everybody while they're waiting to, to take their turn. Like, so why did you sign up for, why do you want your concealed carry permit? And I remember that there was one girl in the room and 
you asked her the question and she said that she had had a guy that was stalking her, this kind of creepy dude around her apartment complex. I mean, not like stalking her, like following her to her apartment or anything like that, but it was just like out in the parking lot, just kind of glaring at her, leering at her. And she felt like if she had a gun and would show it to the guy that he would just back off and maybe leave her alone. It's, there's a, um, I think it ends up becoming like that for a lot of people. In fact, a lot of victims end up going out and getting their firearm just to make them feel safer. I think a lot of people that carry, carry it to feel whether that's safer. I think it tends to be more of an identity thing, more of an ego thing for a lot of people. And there are some repercussions to not understanding. Well, there's, there's repercussions for not training. And, and I, I, you know, I applaud you for, um, not just doing the legal side of it, but also doing the instruction side of it as well and giving people some familiarization over, it. especially in Florida. Now there's going to be a uh, constitutional carry. You know, I got to say it does. I believe in the constitution. It also scares the hell out of me that people are just going to be kind of walking around without, without this information, not necessarily the responsibility or the force responsibility to really understand what they have to do with it. And so I'm curious how things are going to, going to play out in the future here in, in Florida. But, um, I just think that there's a there's so many things to take away from this. And I, and I know you see so many people coming through your course that you get different viewpoints, different mindsets of the people that come through as well, um, which was another reason why I think that these real life encounters that people have, especially for somebody that's knowledgeable, there's a there's a lot to be taken, taken away from this. This was a pretty harrowing event for for you and your your son to go through. What are some other lessons that you feel are important for people to really get out of your experience so that they can understand like a real life threat or an attack, um, maybe that we haven't covered. Or another another thing I'd like to know is, in what way has this changed any part of your own self protection plan or how you train for for an encounter? So the first thing, one of the big false beliefs that I see with a lot of people is that they think that because they have a firearm. And because they're the good guy with a gun, they are going to survive the violent attack. People have this misconception. I think it comes from movies and TV that they're going to rise to the occasion of a violent situation when the reality is, is you're going to fall back to your highest level of training. And if your highest level of training is nothing, then you're going to do a lot of dumb stuff. You're going to make huge mistakes and you're, you're either going to end up dead or you're going to end up in prison. So that is why it is so important to make sure that you have more training and a higher skill set than, than the attacker. Uh, the big lesson that I got from this, which is, is I have to shut the hell up. So I should have, uh, when that guy almost hit us, I should have just said, hey, sorry, and moved on with my son and just kept walking. I know logically that's, that's what I'm supposed to do, and that's what my wife tells me I should have done. But it's very hard to, to do that in real life when you're emotional and this idiot almost just ran me and my son over. You know, I'm a bold person. I, I, I'm quick-witted. I say what I'm feeling. Uh, but if anything could have prevented this incident, it would have been that one single moment. Is me biting my tongue, not saying anything, and just, hey, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, you didn't see us. And then just continue to walk by because you cannot speak to crazy people. This was 100% his fault. He almost hit us, but you can't logic with them. You just need to keep your mouth shut and, uh, and keep going, which is very hard for men. It's very hard for, for people like us. 
But just because you have a gun doesn't mean we're going to survive these, these moments. We need to avoid them really as much as possible. And like you, I am very concerned about permitless carry. And the reason I'm concerned about it is because we train at the moment, we've trained over 82,000 people in Hillsborough County. So I think I have a very good understanding of who the average gun owner is in the state of Florida. I think better than anybody else. We survey all of our students and uh, we've realized that people have a very poor mindset. They truly believe that if somebody punches them in a bar, they are allowed to pull out a gun and shoot that person because Florida stands your ground. That's, that's the quote that everybody says. Florida stands your ground. I'm allowed to shoot. I had a woman recently uh, who, when I asked her why she wanted to carry, she said, well, I just got arrested and my attorney is telling me I need to do this. So I said, well, that's interesting. So why'd you get arrested? She said, well, a solar panel salesman knocked on my door and was trying to sell solar panels. I opened up my window and told him I'm not interested. And then the man knocked on the door again. So this woman had the audacity to open her window and say to this man, if you knock on my door again, I'm going to shoot you. Okay, well, you can't do that. So what do you think this solar panel salesman did, Jeff? I have to say it was probably a stupid solar salesman, uh, solar panel salesman and probably knocked again. He rang the doorbell, <laughs> well, which is hilarious knock. to me. It's <laughs> hilarious, right? But this lady walks away. She goes to her closet, grabs a shotgun, points it through the window and racks it. And then the solar panel salesman just walks down the road, dials 911 and this woman gets arrested. But this woman is so stupid. She's in the class, she already got arrested, she already bonded out, she had to pay tens of thousands of dollars to an attorney to represent her in this pending you know, legal case. Improper exhibition of a firearm is punishable by one year in prison, and this woman still believes that she had a legal right to threaten to kill this person because she is not, she is not taking the time to understand when you're allowed to use a firearm and when you must walk away. And that's what I'm concerned about with permitless carry is that there's going to be even more of those people. I don't know if this is true or not, but I recently did an interview with a firearms instructor in Texas, and he was sharing a statistic with me that after constitutional carry became law in Texas, they had 24,000 firearm-related, additional firearm-related arrests in the first two months after that bill went into effect, which if that's true, shows us that there's just more people walking around with guns without the foundational understanding of what they can and can't do with that gun, which is obviously very scary. Yeah, even without constitutional carry. I mean, I've talked to a lot of firearms, people that have owned firearms all their lives. They train a lot. And when you start asking some of the legal questions, you realize how little they actually know or how much, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of disbravado. There's a lot of, you know, the sound of a racking of a shotgun will, you know, will scare anybody. Like it's things like that. Or, I mean, in Texas, I had a, a neighbor who, you know, born and born and bred Texan. And every year when we had our, our neighborhood, what was it? Our, like our, our neighborhood party and the police would come out there as like a show of like, you know, being part of the community. He would ask them every year is like, can I still drag them back into my house after I shoot them on my front lawn? And yeah. I know he was like halfway kidding, but I also know the guy and he was only halfway kidding. So it's it is it's we'll see how things go. But I mean, I'm pretty sure we, if even people who before constitutional carry own a firearm, train with a firearm and still 
don't fully understand their legal responsibility with a firearm. I, yeah, it's something that is uh, is a bit concerning here. And the thing is, and one of the things I really like from coming, uh, just kind of following up a little bit more on your background and before the show and everything is that your your commitment to helping people understand that with the purpose of helping the industry be by being a a responsible firearms instructor and a responsible carrier and training those people to be responsible owners of a firearm. And I think that gets lost a lot. I think we talk about the second amendment. We talk, we talk, you know, everything gets political about it, but I think that constitutional carry for those people that want to just like rah, rah, second amendment, give everybody a gun. Um, need to understand that all those bad reports, the 24,000 extra arrests in two months don't do us any favors when it comes to not being portrayed as the gun nuts out there who just want to be able to, you know, shoot up in the air just like you know that so so we'll see um yeah this was i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff here ryan um and you you covered a lot of things also that i really want people to understand like there are other consequences so it's not the movie doesn't always have a happy ending right you could get shot i remember you talking about this also in your in your training after this event when you were talking with people is you can get shot like this guy could have followed through on every single one of his on every single one of his uh, uh, threats to you. you uh, Jackson could have been shot. And when it comes to training, it's not just firearms training. It's not just the legal training. But if there is an injury, if you're injured, if Jackson was injured, do you have first aid training? Do you have materials with you to be able to? I mean, to me, the worst thing that can happen is the feeling of. I could have done more to protect myself or not make a stupid decision and not watch my kid bleed out in front of me because of not making the right decision or not trying to avoid it, not trying to do anything like that. And so there's other elements to this as well that I want people to take away from this, as well as even from this woman's experience with you know being stupid and threatening to blow solar panel sales guy off of her porch. But like it's going to get expensive also, even if you're 100% in, uh, innocent. Even if you had every right to defend yourself with a firearm, no matter what it was, it's still going to cost you to go to court. It's still going to cost potentially, I think the average now is like $40,000 to be able to defend yourself, even if you're found innocent. I don't know what Dredgka's uh, final bills were, but, you know, a lot of those were probably paid, you know, paid from people over the Internet. But but it's not it's not cheap. And I can, you know, I've from somebody who has been shot at and shot people and talking with other people that have been in firefights, law enforcement, military, um, killing isn't fun. Like shooting somebody as much as you think it's like the movies and you want to be John Wick. It's knowing that you took somebody, even if they deserved it, it's not what you think it is. And people really don't know how they're going to, I think there's a few few things here. So one, you don't know how you're going to perform until you're actually put in the moment. You can train all you want and that's the best that you can do. And that that is what you can do. Uh, But then also, the other repercussions that can come out of it that most people just don't even think about. They think about the firefight. They think about the training. That's all the hoorah, sexy stuff. But there's a whole lot more that goes into that responsibility for owning a firearm. Yeah, very true. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much. I really appreciate you sharing your your story with us today and the lessons that are learned there. And listen, everybody, I, I really recommend go check out Ryan has a great channel. He's got a, a very loyal following online. You can go check him out on YouTube. Over at uh, He's got Tampa Carry is his YouTube channel. He does live streaming over there with his wife, Tiffany, and puts out some uh, some great videos over there. Go check out his website. If you live in Florida, 
super easy to go ahead and get your, your permit. If you are looking at constitutional carry and you're looking at your right to finally get it, hopefully this talk has given you some, maybe some understanding of your responsibility and your need to go train, get your, like, even though you don't necessarily have to have a permit now to be able to carry, you absolutely should go ahead and take the training anyway. There's some valuable stuff in there for you. Um, so you can go check that out, out over at tampacarry.com, or you can go over and check out Ryan's other site at warriorcloud.io, and uh, you'll find his stuff there as well. So until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.